philosophers. Philosophers. Well, here we are again. And this week, uh, David suggested the topic. And I think it's an excellent topic because it kind of ties in a little bit to some of other things we said before, but in a more indirect way. However, I do think it's a very important topic that is very relevant to our current situation, even if we're not going to talk about it from the perspective so much of the current environment in which we exhibit, or exhibit, <laughs> the current environment in which we inhabit. Um, it's still, I think, timeless in its nuance, but more so now than maybe at other periods of time. And to, and to avoid being vague any further, David, what, what are we talking about today? Let's talk about partisan politics uh, in particular the if there are any merits of partisanship uh and then uh the 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 reason for which i raised this topic in the first place um the 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 drawbacks and drains on society that are caused by partisanship okay so there isn't a definition for partisan politics and the reason for that is partisan is an adjective, and then politics being the noun. So I think most people in the common parlance understand what politics are. Is? Mm, it is. Fair enough. Uh, but also, I, I will also disagree with that claim. Okay. I don't think that most people actually understand what politics is. Okay. Well, let's start with the first word. Well, okay. Actually, no. Let's talk about... The noun. The noun first, because it, it is modified by the adjective so let me pull up the oxford while you give a uh, more common parlance definition well politics is really the well it has it has lots of definitions really um it has it always has to do with the way that society is organized um but politics might be uh the actual structure of the government or it might be political principles uh like guiding principles by which we should uh, create a society etc etc okay uh the definition of politics from the oxford to give the formal and to your credit there are two primary definitions but of the first primary definition there are four sub definitions so it does really depend the first definition of politics is the activities associated with the governance of a country or area, especially the debate between parties having power. Um, the first sub-definition, which kind of sheds a little bit more light on what it's talking about, is 1.1 uh, is the activities of governments concerning the political relations between states. And in this case, they're talking about uh, authoritarian or sovereign nations. They're not necessarily talking about what in the United States we would refer to as a state. Um, the second sub-definition is the academic study of government and the state. The third sub-definition is a particular set of political beliefs or principles. So that's one's politics, you know. Yep. And then the fourth definition, often the politics of, is the usage. The principles relating to or inherent in a sphere or, act sphere or activity, especially when concerned with power and status. Uh, the example in this case given is the politics of gender. The second definition is uh, activities aimed at improving someone's status or increasing power within an organization. 
which I think is the more common term. Like for you're saying, oh, how was work today? Oh, I had to deal with a lot of political stuff. And they're not talking about government politics. They're talking about dealing between you and a different level of power, like a management and then your management's a supervisor, things and so on and so forth. And normally, just like the... Like so, so this is a like a, a sub definition of the sub definition of the first definition, which was uh, the when it said especially the debates between political parties, um, which which I think is when, when most people think of politics, they think of political debating. They don't think of like the the system as a whole uh, or or guiding principles, and um, and so likewise this uh, this other definition of politics is normally meant in the negative. Um, just being another word for office drama, basically, or just, you know, disputes between higher ups at a company. Right. Now, that's, so, that's politics. Now, the definition of partisan is where I think we're going to take more of the issue, perhaps. Um, the definition of a partisan, uh, when it's used in the, uh, let's see, there's two versions. There's the noun, referring to someone as a partisan. And then someone or some, well, actually, no, there are two definitions of the noun. I'm going to say the first one because it's totally irrelevant, but it's funny. It's a weapon of the 16th and 17th centuries with a long shaft and a broad blade. So that's not quite, I mean, I, I mean, that, that makes for a really good double entendre on what partisan uh, politics I was, was going to say, uh, some analogies can be drawn here. Exactly. Um, more commonly in the 20th and 21st century, the, um, I'm going to skip directly to adjectives because that's the that's the one we're talking about when we're talking about partisan politics most of the time. Um, the first adjective is feeling, showing, or deriving from strong and sometimes blind adherence to a to a particular party, faction, cause, or person, exhibiting, characterized by, or resulting from partisanship. So being a member of a group. Because I am a member of this group or I follow this ideology or person, I will strongly defend it, you know, so on and so forth. The second definition is of, carried on by, or being in a being military partisans. So there's also maybe usage of the word there where a partisan is a person who is essentially a warrior of a ideal. It doesn't have to be an ideology, but a partisan in just the adjective word is essentially saying a person who is a combative member of a group when you say like no he is a partisan of the warhammer guild that means he will fight people (laughs) um uh and lastly the noun form of the word partisan um or a partisan as a person or a partisan as a belief um a firm adherent to a party faction cause or person uh, and the second definition is a member of a body of detached light troops making forces and harassing an enemy. <laughs> Very interesting seeing some of the origins of these words. Um, so that's where we're going to leave it. Definitions. Do you think that's pretty clear? Yes. Okay. So, David, we did not assert. Uh, okay. We, we've not asserted a position thus far. So let's examine this from an objective as much as we can standpoint. Um, what are at its face value in your mind, some of the benefits to a system of partisan politics, because the fact that partisan politics, partisan politics exist is not 
is nothing, you know, something's existence cannot make it moral or immoral necessarily, but when put into action. Well, I'm going to make an assertion right off the bat, which will inform both the benefits and the drawbacks of partisanship, which is partisanship is just tribalism. Well, okay. Define tribalism. Well, okay. And then you can't say partisan politics. Because <laughs> otherwise... Uh... Yes, I can. Um, so, uh, tribalism, just like partisanship, is strict adherence to a group, particularly an in-group, uh, as distinct from the out-group, the other, um, normally irrationally. Um, you, you are allied to this group without a real clear reason other than you are just allied to it. Hmm. Well, the f- formal definition in its root form doesn't agree because tribalism is just the state or fact of being organized into tribe, a tribe or tribes. However, there is the derogatory form of the word, which is the behavior or attitudes that stem from a strong loyalty to one's own tribe or social group. So I, I could see in the derogatory form, yes, it's the same thing. Well, even with the first definition, if we then further examine what it means to be part of a tribe, then it sort of just follows that that's the kind of behavior that it leads to. Well, that I, mm, I guess that would depend. For example, in our, based on the discussions we've had before, we are of the opinion that tribes are self-selected by that meaning you get to select what tribe you're in. Mm, I don't necessarily agree with that. Okay. I mean, there's the obvious example. There are factors that we cannot control that put us into, air quote, tribes. Well, and well, I'm even thinking historically, the, the things that would normally historically land you in a tribe is just you were born into the tribe. Right. Um, however, that does not dictate or demand that you have a blind loyalty to it. Correct. But our psychology creates this. Okay. Is it, do you saying our psychology creates this by default or it creates it most of the time? It is, it is a, I, the, the most authority with which I can speak on this is to say that it is a psychological tendency to do this. And that's why we see things like tribal grudges, uh, mm-hmm. throughout history where where so and so from the the whatever tribe hurt somebody a long time ago in our tribe and so we hate them well okay i'm going to bring up an instance we've stated before when we talked a little bit about uh beliefs because beliefs are typically tribalistic can be tribalistic um the jains you're familiar with the the yes. uh religion of jainism it is a religion, right? Yes. It's not just a philosophy. It's a religion. Um, well, within that, if there were a tribe of people that their primary identifying factor was that they were all Jains. And don't get me wrong, there are probably societies where that is the case with every member of the society. You are born and raised in a Jain environment. The ideology of the environment, does that affect the positive, neutral, or negative nature of their tribalism in this case? Because, for example, I would have a hard time... Because if the ideology of the group is a passive one, that is... Ah, yeah, I see where you're going. Okay, well, tribalism does not necessarily... 
And this, this negative form of tribalism doesn't necessarily imply violence, merely strong loyalty. Right. So, strong loyalty without good reasons, normally. Okay. So we're not talking about the actions encouraged by the tribe or it, or the things... It's okay. more about the attitude than the action. Okay. So, for example, you can do a good thing, but if you're doing it for tribal reasons, it's that is bad. Or that's what you're calling into question. The, the motivations for what you do. Tribalism as a motivation. Right. Okay, so... You're doing good things for bad reasons. Sure. And so that's important distinction to make because I do feel like... Because I would tend to agree with you that we all exhibit tribal tendencies because that's what allowed human beings in a large way, anthropologically speaking, in a very high overview. Don't be wrong. I don't have the authority to speak anthropologically. I'm not an expert. But from what I've read about it and from what is fairly obvious and to avoid the whole it's common sense um, fallacy... Um, that is what seems to happen most. And if we observe it in history, one of the benefits of tribalism is it provides you a way by which altruism can exist, which would, which is one of the main reasons we have benefited genetically in our propagation. You know, we don't eat our young, we don't compete on in, you know, in the very tightest knits of groups. Typically we want to avoid those problems and you can achieve that if you're all on the same page. So, um, right. And so I, I was going to state that as, uh, perhaps one of the, uh, benefits to partisanship, uh, because just like a benefit of tribalism, um, cohesion, um, social cohesion, having a unified goal is a powerful thing that, you know, in, well, for, for whatever cause you're trying to, to further is a formidable strength to have. And if you're, you know, of course, everyone believes they're on the right side. So if you're trying to do the good thing um, and you have this kind of power on your side, then it is a good thing. Right. Um, I would, I think that is a good reason. I think tribalism in the maybe anthropological sense provides the framework for cooperation. However, in a scope that is not indicative of the types of societies we inhabit now. For example, the civilizations that exist today are many orders of magnitudes larger and complex, more complex than even a thousand years ago. And so, and there was these natural, and, and I mean this both geographical buffer zones between tribes where when you you don't often encounter people of a much different tribe than you and i think if you were to able to measure like tribal beliefs somehow empirically they 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 gradually change over geography you know people tribes that are located in one geographical region like let's take the united states for example uh, native americans of similar regions would have some overlap now, granted, they would the, the standard deviation grows the farther away you get, you know, all the way to the point where if you go to the entire opposite side of the world, you see very different um, culture, you know. Um, okay. So, acknowledging one of the benefits, you know, we, we've stated that tribalism as a human tendency is what has allowed us to move essentially from being almost into a different class of animal of social animal right maybe i don't i'm not going to 
try to speak with authority on what uh, what other animals might exhibit tribalistic behavior. Well, but okay, would you say that you would have to have at least a social? It would, animals would have to be at least in some form social to at least have tribalism. Oh yes, tribalism is a purely social phenomenon. Right, and so what I'm saying is, what again, I don't have the authority either, but I think something that's easily observable is that social animals tend to do better competitively in an environment than non-social animals. And then of the social animals, the ones who exhibit the tribal tendency, because I don't know, I wouldn't necessarily say that it's linked. Like you would have to have some level of tribalism if you're social. I think that um, maybe you would, I don't know. Yeah, I see where you're going with for the the the, the latter here of of yeah, social. I guess there's a layer cake essentially. Right. Of... But I think I think right. And so so if we want to, I don't want to stay on the topic of tribalism for too long. But, Fair enough. But uh, you know, I I think that uh, perhaps a, a problem with with tribalism is that it it has gotten us very far. Um, obviously these societies are built originally because of our tribalistic tendencies, but now we have created a world that is so interconnected that our tribalism actually pulls us apart and makes us weaker than if we didn't have it. So it's, it's like, it's as if we have so societally outgrown our tribalism, but because it is so baked into our psychology, we can't drop it. And I would agree that our psychology, I see what you're getting at. And our psychology takes a longer time to adapt than our social cultures our environment our basically. environment yeah um i would agree to that because our eye psychology has a lot to do i would say it's a lot to do it, it has somewhat to do with our physiology as well and just as it takes very long and long time for physiology to evolve over time such does it for our psychology um right okay. and and tribalism is so deeply baked in that it's not something that we can you know reverse indoctrinate you know in children we can't we can't teach children not to behave tribalistically they do this on their own right um so to move away from the word tribalism because we're talking about partisan politics right partisan politics would you agree is it let's adopt a new working definition for now is essentially tribalism being being displayed in political systems basically but but it's it's more than that because the the party is some you know it's a different sort of entity well it's just a tribe yeah it's not just a tribe it is a by definition it is a set of ideologies around which people exactly and the the party represents more than one thing at at the same time right and that that's what that's what makes uh partisan politics especially messy um and that's sort of where i wanted to go with it is is that that i think for me the the deepest problem with partisan politics is that it marries together ideas that don't necessarily have anything to do with one another but basically you in our political system you cannot support one without dragging along others that you may not actually agree with right like um just to use an example you could have a political party that supports uh, one stance on an issue like abortion we discussed before, but support a and then also support a stance when it comes to maybe economic policy. And what you'll get is people where their primary issue is the abortion topic, 
and people this would... is this is the birth of the single issue voter because right. it has because it's so messy that someone just has to decide this is the most important thing for me and I'm going to vote this way regardless of the side effects. Okay. And I think that Okay, let's go ahead and do our due diligence. Is there any benefit to having a single issue voter? Is there any benefit to having a single issue voter? Because I mean, we can say that like it's a bad thing, but I think we need to at least look and see if there's any good acknowledgments to be fair. Yes, I think there is a problem with the single issue voter. Um let's take for example uh someone who is a single issue voter on firearms. Okay. Um they are in support of the civilian right to own firearms. Let's ignore the details and just say that uh that and that in this hypothetical election cycle the opposition seeks to ban firearms outright, um, and so they are they are against this. Okay, now suppose the pro firearm party also has as part of its platform, as we see in the United States, lots of um, policies which, mm, well, I don't want to get into specifics, but basically bringing along religious baggage. Okay. Um, and so things things that might actually abridge First Amendment rights, like uh, you know, free, freedom of speech, or or might uh, you know seek to establish uh, religious control over school curricula or things like that. That that are any that... any violation of the Establishment Clause, essentially. Right. So, but these single issue voters, and, the, and of which there are many, when it comes to firearms. Um, basically create a unit where they every every member of this group of single issue voters is going to vote for the party who is pro gun regardless of what the other policies are and so this gives the party who is pro gun the ammunition no pun intended that mm-hmm. they need to bring in all this other garbage um well it it inflates the influence of essentially okay it allows them to smuggle in other things that may not actually be able to get in on their own merit because people are smarter than that. Uh, well, okay, that's a different claim entirely. But yeah, uh, regardless, th- things that may not be able to get in on their own uh, because they don't stand on their own merits, um, but they get in because these single-issue voters want to vote for the party that supports their single issue. Right, and I think if you blow this out to its logical conclusion... What you end up with is an ability for minority opinions to ride on the coattails of popular opinions. And people are forced into these groups due to necessity. Because, for example, if you are, say, a person on the, in the opposite political party, but you're still a single-issue gun voter, you you have to choose it's it's you're forcing people to choose what their most important issue is and then stick with the party that has their most important issue and or take the aggregate across all of their opinions and see well which party happens to agree with you know the majority of my opinions and it you end up with these awkward coalitions that otherwise shouldn't have to exist and 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 I want to go ahead and bring that out because in the United States having a two party system it's it's exacerbated because now these two parties essentially have there's very little they agree on 
but that's almost because they have to. Because if they agree with the other party, then they could potentially lose blocks of single-issue voters to the other party, even if it's better for the voter. It creates a conflict of interest between political organizations and the citizen. Um, if you look at other governments, like for example in Israel, uh, that's just the first one that comes to mind, they have a coalition-style government where being a single, you, you essentially have each party is focused around a specific topic like there is a person who there is a and if you applied it in the united states there would be a pro-gun party and so what you do is if you are a single issue voter on guns you go to that party now this doesn't all the way solve the problem because you don't get to pick how the political organization allies itself either once it gets into government um and I guess, if, you know, looking at the problem in the abstract is there is, how do you take the aggregate of an opinion, how do you take the popular opinion on just a single issue when we, I think the ultimate problem is that in, this is a weak shortcoming of representative republics. In the long run, that's what it is. Because if, because when you elect a person into office, they get to vote on every issue not just the issue they were maybe elected to uphold. And so you, even if, even in a coalition-style government, I'm kind of processing this as I go, uh, you still could end up electing a person on a single issue, but you still have to take some of the other issues, you know, into account as well. Yes. Because so, you only get one vote. Right. Well, and so so that might be a problem with, with the, the coalition system as well. Um, but, but the thing they have in common is that they're representative democracy. You're right. But suppose, okay, I, I'm not. We're going to ignore the details of how this actually ends up working in practice. But imagine a no party system and everyone runs as an individual. Now, at least when I'm presented with my candidates, I can look them up individually and see what their positions are, and they're going to they're going to be a lot more variant than a party platform, which has to be very rigid and and stay you know quite consistent over time um individuals can change or even which individuals are on the ballot change over time as opposed to the parties which remain constant um you know then i can i can pick and choose who i think is the best fit and by the time next election cycle rolls around my options may be vastly different right and ignoring i still think there are issues even if you ignore the practical issues with having that type of political system because the biggest obvious problem is what is the minimum bar for election at that point? If you have a hundred candidates that could represent your geographical area, which that's another problem, geographical tribalism. In addition to that, because we are voting not based on our opinions or our ideas, but we're really voting based on ge geographical locking. You know, I happen to have to vote with all these people I'm nearby. Now this is okay to a degree because of the same reason people in the same area, at least traditionally, tended to have the same opinion. And so they could be gerrymandered. Gerrymandering actually started out as a good thing. For those who don't know, it's when you redraw districts for election purposes. That's in the short run what it is. You know, there's, it gets more complicated than that. Um, it's a hotly debated issue now, but it, originally it was a good idea because then you could get people who want who had a majority of the same opinions together because they tended to be geographically clustered. In their car, in the in the in the modern world, that's not the that's not the case anymore. We people move around all the time, and I may go to a different place where I am very different from most of the people there for our work reason. But now I 
and then a minority as opposed to in my where I grew up would have been the majority, you know, more likely anyway. Um, but I think, you know, going back to address your original issue of say, I have 500 candidates to vote for in my geographical area of 2000 people that they're going to be representing. Right. I can find somebody that I like and say, you know, but what is the bar? Does that person still have to get 50% of the population's vote? Or is it just whoever has the most? Because if there's 500 a person could win and only actually be representing five people. Right. Yeah, we can't we can't do that. Um so uh well, to av- avoiding this becoming an episode about voting systems, uh I would I would say that at first glance a good voting system seems to be single transferable vote as has been talked about by CGP Gray, oh, our on. favorite. I need to make put this down to link. <laughs> yes. Um, but yes, that's one way to get around it, but it doesn't entirely eliminate the problem. I think because in that type of voting system is agnostic to, it's still a representative voting system. And it is still a system in which you end up with one person getting to speak on behalf of a bunch of others. Yes. But my my, my biggest thing about there being more and more candidates and varying candidates is that that from election cycle to election cycle your options your options are not nearly as consistent as they are with parties which i think is a good thing um because with parties you have party platforms which are difficult to ch- difficult or impossible to change um and so then we you know we basically have the same exact two big picture um sets of opinions against each other every single two years when we have an election in the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, but with individuals running it as individuals running with term limits, it can be very fresh every single election cycle. Okay. Well, let me go to the logical other end of the extreme. Why not have a direct democracy where each person gets to vote on every issue. And remember, this is still within the realm of let's ignore the, practical issues of that practical issues aside of it's really hard to coordinate every single person okay if we ignore the practical issues with direct democracy as far as solving the problems of partisanship i don't have a problem with it i have other problems with direct democracy right but that's the thing is it would absolutely solve because there's no parties at that point right there's no point you know a party at that point is just it just occurs on each issue but the voting power of the party is directly related to the number of people on the side of the issue. Um, so as far as, well, but a representative can also represent more than one issue. That That's why I said, you know, that that's why I preferred that over say the coalition system, because then once you get the pro gun party into power, okay, but what else do those people who make up that party think? Right. Well, that's the thing in a, in a coalition system to just elaborate just a bit, you have, I think in a coalition system, what ends up happening is there is each party is voted on. There is no regional uh, voting. Everyone votes for everyone votes as a single block. But what happens is there is a list of people on the, on the list. There's a list of people and it's the top say 100 people that get votes. And so if I'm a gun only voter, I'm going to go vote for the guy who, you know, these three guys support guns on the list. And so, and they're ba- they're all backed by the same party. And so what the party will do is put multiple candidates out that have a variety of opinions of 
which they've already, and don't be wrong, there could have been many, many more, but they mitigate out the ones they know they don't, that they're not going to want based on the culture. And so you'll have three pro-gun people where that's their primary thing. Now, don't get me wrong. They will each have a secondary opinion on, and two of them might be pro-nationalism and one is pro-globalism, for example. So if I am a, my first issue is gun and my second issue is nationalism, well, I'm going to drop the globalist. I have two people. And my third issue is like abortion. Well, one of them happens to be pro-abortion. The other happens to be or pro-life. One happens to be pro-choice. Well, I'm going to pick the pro-choice guy. Boom. There's my guy. He represents me on my top three issues. And I just vote for him. And when it's all said and done, everybody who shares those same top three opinions, and it's not just limited to three, if enough of us vote for him, he will get into office and then he is in this mass of people that seem to have a greater correlation of representation on at least an ideological basis. Now, again, still problems with it because you can't guarantee that the pro-gun party is also going to run somebody who meets the next three criteria, but they are motivated to because in order to get their primary issue addressed, they need to have at least somewhat of a popular opinion on their second, third, and so on ideas or on their platform. Yes. But uh, it at least breaks up the these weird tribes. You get less weird tribes that way. Let's move... I, I think... You know, back to the issue of partisan politics, would we want to discuss, because we kind of talked about what the primary issues are and that there are very little benefits, but where they, if there were any benefits, where they originated and where they come from. Um, but we still have about a half hour to talk about it. So are there other issues beyond the fact that you get really incoherent tribes and you also get... You, then there's the problem of single issue voters. Those are really the two things we've kind of listed yes. so far. So yes, I have more problems. Um, more money, more problems. <laughs> <laughs> but go on. Um, so and this this is the kind of thing that got me to uh, raise the topic in the first place, um, where the tribalism aspect of partisanship gets to the point where people become unwilling to consider other opinions because of which party proposed the thing. Okay. So it's almost like the negative effect instead of, well, obviously you said it's a bad thing, but I mean negative in the opposite effect where instead of me, I think it's both like first you'll find yourself end up supporting an argument that you maybe don't necessarily agree with, but just because your single issue is addressed, then you will just kind of, over time accept the other I'm not ones. even necessarily talking about single issue voters at this point. I, I know that, but that's I, I'm I'm using it in the f same frame. But for example, it's you know, I if my primary issue is pro gun, well the other party is anti gun. And so it, they clearly don't know what they're talking about and they have all bad ideas. And so the characterization of those on the opposite side of the political aisle is always bad, you know. Right, and so we we have this this notion of, and I, I've heard this from from uh, just people that I talk to, as well as political pundits, which is, you know, whenever you find yourself agreeing with, name your party here, you should reconsider what you know you're you're thinking about, et cetera, et cetera. You have you have this sentiment of you are agreeing with you know the the slimy other people, um, so what you're thinking is bad. Well, and I think 
there's the real issue we've kind of stepped around, but I think needs to be addressed is I think that might be rooted in a separate issue as well, but it's the issue of attaching your morality to your politics. For example, if I think that you are bad as a person for disagreeing, that is what really enables me because that could that could happen on an individual level. I could think a person and this happens all the time when, for example, religion gets entangled into politics because religion typically deals mostly with morality, not always, but that's one of the biggest things that it usually offers its uh, opinions on. Um, I'm going to give a specific instance, you know, looking at the abortion issue in the United States. Well, most of the people who support pro-life do it for a moral reason. Now, I'm not saying it's a good reason, but they say it's moral to, to be pro-life. Well, if it's moral to be pro-life, you're essentially also stating that it's immoral to be pro-choice. Now, at that point, you've already castigated your opponent as immoral. And so anyone in a party that supports abortion is immoral because you apply and mirror the same partisan tendencies that you exhibit and you are moral. You apply the opposite to that person. And so now there could be a pro-life Democrat, for example, in the United States that just happens to agree with the Democratic platform on every other issue. That person's immoral. Even if they share the same belief as you, you still make it about morality and they are a bad person. And once you've put a person in a morally good or bad box, it taints every other opinion you can have of them. It's And you can't, you know, not to make a pun, but you can't agnostically make an opinion about just their ideas. You can't address the idea anymore. Because And it's not just abortion either, and it's not just the religious right that does this. There are plenty of issues that get thrown in a, or castigated in a moral light. And once it, and, and wrong, it's effective for maintaining the system of partisan politics because you, you get the benefit of also telling everybody that is in the party, even if they disagree with their second, third, whatever tier issue, at least you're a good person. And we all... Right, like, exactly. It, you, you insulate yourself from... Uh, the possibility of somebody uh, voting for the other party because you have you have now instilled and and fostered a culture in your party of well the other side is evil so you shouldn't even consider supporting them well and the other party doesn't help most of the time because once one party goes down the moral road it's very hard for the other party to not go down that road as well that's right and so now the other party is keeping your people out and even if the person isn't being kept in by you saying like a wall does two things it keeps people out but it also keeps people in you know a fence in a prison serves two functions it's not just to keep criminals in the prison it's also to keep people from getting in you know but it essentially pu- puts up a wall in that case where and and it's a it puts up a wall that both sides contribute to they both build that wall um in this case so even if this person would want to switch sides, it makes switching sides, which that is also a partisan politics framing, calling it to switch sides and implies a somewhat of a defection, which is usually seen as immoral. Um, you end up with people being trapped in a location where they feel like they can't, they have nowhere else to go, you know, and at least you can be seen as a good person here. And if anything else, the partisan politics game creates scenarios where people are trapped against their will in a place that they don't maybe don't want to be. 
but if you're not going to be accepted by the other group, then the, the ultimate bad, because in game theory, these are your, when you look at politi- partisan politics through the game theory lens, you know, the these are your safety solutions. These are your safest bets is to just pick a side. The worst can still happen. That's not the worst that could happen. The worst that could happen is you could be exiled from both. And now you are no longer a member of any group. At least until a majority of the people don't... Unless there, until there are enough people who get exiled and then the system crumbles apart and then it rebuilds. Um, now, keeping in that thread, there is not just the ultimate bad, but there's the ultimate good. And that is that we don't form those... We don't... You don't play that game. You know, you don't create the system where the two safest bets are political parties and then the worst bet is people getting extricated. You know, that's my opinion. Right. But anyway, but no, yeah, I, I would agree that that's also a bone to be picked with uh, the partisan politics system. So that's three. So now to recap, we've got um, awkward coalitions that other unnatural coalitions that normally shouldn't have to be formed. Um, what was the second one again? How'd you frame it? Um, the, the one we just did? No, there was one before that. Um, other bad thing. Oh, poor representation of yeah. uh, ideologies because in this system you can't get adequate representation for an opinion. Um, either something gets overrepresented because its numbers are inflated by other people on different topics or it gets underrepresented because you fracture the base. Um, and then the third one being it creates essentially social sinkholes for both and also creates the third zone of you're just accept you're not accepted by either. And there isn't really a good alternative because once you've entered the realm where the safest bet is one or the other, there isn't a way that you can be accepted by both. And so, but you can definitely be expelled by both so um those are the three primary issues so far any other bones to pick while we're going down the list none that come to mind immediately though those are the things that that i have most had a gripe with particularly that last one more recently right um i would tend to agree with you i think there is another bad that is a lot that it affects a lot less people because it only affects those who are agents in the system that act on behalf of the parties and I think this is a, this is another topic we've had listed for a while, but in this type of system, it creates an environment in which the representatives representing these groups of people cannot either they you're forced to make a choice between representing opinions you personally disagree with or risk representing these people in a way that you think is right you know uh just to just to be clear the the other topic that we have on the list is um the concept of the representative being elected to represent a group of people once that person's elected are they elected to be themselves and vote how they think or are they elected to vote what they know their constituents want you know because it's not guaranteed that the person you elect agrees with you on every issue right so in a robotic sense, this is what we're creating, is a person who will vote in a way that they disagree with and act against their will, like act against what would they would have done if unaffected, just because they know they won't get elected again if they don't, you know? And so, 
Because I would argue that it's very hard to find a person that agrees wholeheartedly with every topic of a party's platform, especially in the United States when you only have two parties to pick from. And you do see overlap, or you have in the past. Um, So I think the reason in the past we've seen more overlap is because the partisan nature of politics wasn't as strong. And so what you could do is you could see overlap where there were some Republicans who actually, and if they were in a different state, would have been a Democrat. But because of the geographical differences, you know, whatever key demographic issue is in that geographical area, that person is like, for example, let's take the pro-gun issue. Well, if you're in a southern state that is very pro-gun, right, then you are elected for your pro-gun stance and maybe not just do the single issue voter, but because that is one of the most important issues is across the board but you're also in a state that loves guns but also loves entitlement programs well now you disagree with almost every other person in your political party over the entitlement program question and you find yourself agreeing more with everyone else you know and it, and as you find there are other um platform proposals that you happen to agree with people on the other side of the aisle you can do that while also representing your base right the partisan nature of politics, I think, is also further exacerbated by nationalization of parties, where parties become more and more about the the whole of the state and not about the regional differences. And that's, I think, one thing we're seeing in the United States is the United States has three levels, uh, well, more than three, but three primary levels we allocate government to. There's the local, which includes county, city, township, whatever. Then there's the state that they live in. So there's the actual, you know, like the state of Texas, the state of New York, California. Provincial, basically. Provincial, yeah. And then there is the national. Well, when the focus is only on the national, which I think has been coming more and more of a problem, you will find there are people in areas that would that are forced into a group of people that they normally wouldn't agree with because they have very different geographic, like the, the regional cultures are very different, but they somehow line up in this almost, you know, almost every issue they, they, they group together. And then when you have that group, you don't have the benefit of the strata of varying opinion. And you, you see these echo chambers occur inside the political system at the party, the national party level where, because these people that are representatives, yes, they are from a specific place that they represent, but they are taken out of that place and put in an entirely new arena where they now have to get along with people that they don't represent, but they are linked to through essentially finances. Because that's really all a political party does. Political parties exist to redistribute funds across regional areas. And essentially represent a national platform in a system that was designed to represent local constituencies, right? Right. I think that could become its whole other episode. I think it could. Because, I mean, not to go down the road of history too much, but the whole point of having a representative democracy and the way it was constructed had a lot to do with representing each geographical smaller area. What was quickly realized is, well, fact of the matter is, certain areas are richer than others. There are also certain areas in which you don't have to worry about, I mean, 
when you when you make issues national, for example, you don't see very many Democrats coming out of Alabama, for example, because they have a very homogenous culture. Not totally, but very homogenous. And because of that, a and this is back to the wall concept, a Democrat can't run in Alabama and then also maintain the similar ideologies to their local constituents because they will be rejected at the national level. So the the national party kind of locks itself out of that area, and so you only have Republicans to choose from. Now, they still campaign, they still raise money, but it doesn't cost hardly anything to win an election as a Republican there once you're picked by the party. Once you're picked by the party, you're good. Well, all that money you raised now can be funneled through a national system to a more to what's called a purple district where, I mean, now you're in a fierce, you're in a fierce competition. And so now you have these national entities funneling money from areas that they're safe into combat zones or contested zones, you know, to, to, to rehash the, the partisan nature. Um, yeah, that's a whole other episode, man. That's a whole other thing, but it, it exists because of partisan politics, in a sense. And so I think if we do do that episode, we would have to refer back to this episode for sure. Sure. Okay. Um, I want to address one other characteristic of partisan politics just to go ahead and feel like we've done a complete job. And that is the, and this kind of is where it overlaps more with tribalism, but not necessarily. And that is going back to what makes it partisan and what is it commonly associated with the partisan part of partisan politics. And that is supporting or defending ideas you do not believe in or supporting or defending ideas for just the reason that you are a member of a group that also defends those ideas. Any system that exists, I think that, 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 that is collective identity you know, and that's a mild form of collectivism. And it's supported by the system because, and it encourages, I would argue, poor behavior from its participants because... Well, yes, because it encourages the participants not to think for themselves. Exactly. And the party benefits from this because, you know, don't, don't think about that, you know? Let's let's look the other way on this issue. Hey, you're the good guy, you know. But it also is bad for the individual because I think that type of behavior isn't one that you can only apply in certain areas of your life. Because we each have, whether we acknowledge them or not, a set of principles or a set of values by which we live our lives. And we it's unhealthy for human beings to hold dissonant opinions. You know, cognitive dissonance is a thing. You know, we, I don't know if we did an episode on it yet or talked about it, but no. it, that's something else that may be interesting to look into. But I can't, a person who accepts a belief and just goes with it, if they do that about their politics, it's very easy to start doing that about other things in your life. And I think um, that's why taking the rational perspective on things is contagious. You know, I don't know about you, but personal anecdote time here in the last uh, 10 minutes or so we've got. So screw it. Um, whenever I began essentially using a form of street epistemology on myself, which is where I be, or there's, there's a name for it, you know, you or a introspection, introspection. Yes. When you, when I began looking introspectively at what I believed and questioning it, 
you can't that's that's a process that is very hard to stop once it's started and it always starts with it has to start with one issue and for me it was religion but it didn't stop at religion you know and it's it's a way of life in the way that once you start doing it, it'll spread to other beliefs that you have. Right. Once you learn to think for yourself, you realize how many other things you haven't been thinking for yourself about. Right. And I think if you frame that issue to anybody and say, don't you think that thinking for yourself is good? I would argue that most people would just agree with you. Like, yeah, that's a good thing. But it isn't until you begin advocating, putting that into practice that you start to exhibit, you start to see problems because people don't like having their ideas challenged even by themselves. You know, it's comfortable to just believe this because it just good, you know, or it right. I don't have to think. Well, right. Well, also there's just a problem of, of self-awareness and this is not necessarily an accusation because like you, I, you know, I've, I've gone through that sort of epiphany myself. Um, so I, I'm not necessarily, condemning people for this but but there is there is a lack of self-awareness about this you don't you don't realize that you're not thinking for yourself until you figure out how to think for yourself and realize you know how much you've missed right and you're not going to try to figure out how to think for yourself until you think to think for yourself right well because if you don't realize that your opinions have just been handed to you and you think that you're thinking for yourself even when you're not then you feel like there's nothing to change Right. And in order to admit that you haven't been thinking for yourself as a hard admission, because you kind of have to admit that you weren't and people don't want to admit that they were wrong. Right. Yeah, that's it. And if you never have to call into question why you might be wrong, you never have to admit you're wrong, you know. And I think that's also, you know, that like tribalism is a part of human psychology as well. It's a bias. I was going to say, it's it's almost like single-member tribalism, where you just, you know, you, you agree with yourself so much that you refuse to accept that you could be wrong about something. Singleism. Singleism. Um, yeah. And so, I think also, in just discussing this, we've also figured out that, well, we I say figured out. Because <laughs> um, we're geniuses over here at Philosophers. <laughs> um... But that is the, I think that is one of the potential, or at least the start of where you can start looking for the answer. Because if you acknowledge that partisan politics is a thing and, and that it is a problem, which ironically, most people who participate in partisan politics kind of also agree that it's a problem, but they don't accept that it's their problem. You know, it's always the other. It's funny, you can watch two groups of partisan, two group, two parties that exercise partisan politics on a daily basis blame the other person for being partisan without realizing how hypocritical that is. Right. Um, but the way we might be able to address the issue is not going to be, I think, in attacking the institutions that... Don't, don't attack the institution directly for encouraging partisan politics. I think it's one of those things that we have to address on an individual level, you know. And I think that's why the work of people like Anthony Magnabosco, for example, we've talked about him before, is so important because that's what he does. He talks to individuals every single day. And even though he's not, he, his is focused primarily, not just on religion, but just a single belief that a person holds. That's all it takes is to get a person to start thinking critically and having some self-examination about a single issue. And then it will spread to other issues most of the time. And I think that's why 
that activity is so important. I'm actually going to go ahead and write down to link that one as well. Just his whole channel, I guess, because he, he does really good work. It's very interesting. Um, yes, he's picked he's picked it back up again uh, recently. He started to spread out into other issues as well, which is interesting. Yeah, but that's the whole point is once you can't, I feel like treat one issue one way and another issue the other way. You know, you the way by which you process the the mechanism by which you process your ideas. You can't have more than one mechanism to process ideas. That's something that is kind of hardwired into us to only do it one way and then take everything and push it through that same system. Because, And that's hard because you are rationally having to overcome a psychological tendency that is hardwired into you as a human being. And some will say, well, I mean, that's just how we are. Like, that's an excuse. You know, that's another thing I think we need to address maybe in the future is you know the status quo the status quo in general you know why why and essentially that's just calling into question the fallacy of tradition you know or even nature like well humans be like this so that's how humans be why you know well just because they are like this doesn't mean they have to be like this exactly and that's well that's essentially status quo like you said right um so yeah so to i guess Let's uh, since we're wrapping up, let's put it all back in a nice little bow tie that I uh, can split off into a preview later, if I do if I choose to do that, because um, my voice is also starting to leave me a little bit too, and so I'm talking more quietly. So, partisan politics, the we we outlined four primary issues, well three primary and one perhaps secondary issue with partisan politics. The first problem with partisan politics was do you remember david or do we need to end this episode here and then me go back and tack it on later <laughs> no the uh the first issue was weird coalitions uh yes. you know ideas being associated with one another that are completely disparate yes the second the second we already had to remember this one once i know right it's almost like it's important <laughs> Well, we we called it single issue voting. Yeah, it was around that, but essentially it was um, a lack of representation, um, lack of adequate representation in a political system, either on inflation or deflating numbers. Um, in a nutshell, it's inaccurate. Our causes inaccuracies. Um, the third, the third was. Uh, demonization of the other side mm-hmm. it, it, or at the very least maybe it's encouraging uh it's dragging and encouraging a moral stance when it comes to ideas that aren't inherently moral or immoral right um and then the the fourth secondary which isn't a really super primary issue because it only affects those who are involved in the system is that it forces people into scenarios well it, it, it creates a system in which people who can give up their individualism rise to the top you know, people who the the people who think the least for themselves will rise to the top and be advantageous in the system. Essentially, people who will just adopt whatever opinion the party has, without thinking it through critically, makes its way to the top, and they are people put in positions of political power. And those are the four issues with partisan politics. Right. All right. Um. Anything? Uh. I want to make a quick 
before we end channel update um for those listening on a recording we do uh, we've started streaming these things live we've been kind of beta testing them out for the last couple of weeks and uh, i think we're going to do that as well uh something that might be enticing for those as we do well, we at least try to do a pre-show um where for a small amount of time we engage with uh listeners and um after that, we, we do the show live, and then after the show is complete, we do a, a post-show where we kind of do the same thing. We address questions from those who were watching live and um, try our best to clarify on anything or even take suggestions for other episodes. So if that's something you think you might be interested in, I'm going to put a link anywhere that I can that this gets posted to. Um, uh, for those of you who maybe for some weird reason are hearing this in a way where that you don't get to see those, the link would be www.dlive.tv. That's D L I V E dot TV forward slash philosophers F A U X L O S O P H E R. Yeah. Yes. Dot. Yeah. Yes. Yes. There's an S on the end of it. I don't want you to get lost. So, uh, we would really appreciate it if you came out or if you're interested in, um, totally your choice you know we just we're just glad you're listening um but if you want to hear us cover a specific topic or have some input and uh you know we don't claim to uh have ideas or represent the mind of greatness to at least not uh, that often at least not that often and uh we'd really appreciate it so uh with that all being said philosophers philosophers <laughs>